A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have with me Dr. Amir Rashidian. Um, Amir is the founder of the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center. He's an expert in the central nervous system and author of a book called Cracking the Stress Secret. Good morning, Amir. Welcome to the show. Good morning, uh, Chris. I'm so honored to be here. I'm a big fan of yours. I've uh, listened to your show uh, many times and uh, I've learned a lot from you. So it is really fun and exciting to be here with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I uh, in checking out kind of your resume and doing a little bit of the research, you got such an interesting path and interesting story mm-hmm. in this concept of leveraging stress. I'm going to maybe give away a little bit of the show, but leveraging stress in, I would describe it in a positive manner, um, is really, really interesting. So I can't wait till we get into our conversations. Um, as our listeners know and have come to expect, though, we always start with a little bit of your life story and how do you get to the point of being the expert you are? So I wondered if you'd share your story with us. Absolutely happy to. You know, the, <clears throat> the story begins with a stress, stressful time in my life. Uh, it's, it's the moment I decided I wanted to become a doctor. And that's because my father and I were traveling through these remote villages in Iran in the mountainside. And this one village we went to, this uh, woman had gone into labor and she was in tremendous amount of pain. And people had gathered around and no one knew what to do to help. A midwife walked over and knelt down and examined her, stood up and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. There's no heartbeat. Uh, the baby's not alive. And this young lady's not going to make it. And she actually left. And one by one, the people who had gathered around started to walk away. And at the age of nine, I'm looking into this, the eyes of this young woman who was just told she's not going to live another few hours. And her husband was by her side, weeping. And, uh, and, and I started to have this panic attack where your chest feels really tight and your heart starts pounding. You're trying to catch your breath and, and, um, you know, tears are starting to come down my face. My father, he saw me, he picked me up, he held me, he carried me out of there. He calmed me down. And then the two of us climbed down the mountain to get in our car to drive home. And on the drive home, I said, dad, I don't want to feel like that ever again. Like what, you know, helpless. Like there's nothing I can do. Somebody should have done something. And uh, he said, what are you going to do about it? I said, how about I become a surgeon? I'll be the best surgeon in the whole world, carry my medical bag with me everywhere I go. I'll just save lives. And that was the plan. Ten years later, uh, I went home for Christmas break. I was a student at George Washington University, uh, you know, on the path to medical school and so on. I I was pre-med. I had the grades um, and uh, I went home for Christmas break. I walked in our house uh, and uh, my dad was wearing this white thick neck brace on and you could tell from his eyes he was under the influence of some heavy painkillers and uh he was limp and numb from the shoulders down he couldn't use his hands he couldn't lift his arms to give me a hug to say hello so we spend my christmas break about six weeks going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out what is wrong with my dad and every doctor we went to said this is beyond my scope you're gonna have to go to this other doctor finally we ended up in a neurosurgeon's office the neurosurgeon took one look at my dad's images and said, you needed surgery yesterday. What are you waiting for? Uh, he, he said, you've got these bone spurs, degenerative changes, they're growing into the spinal canal, narrowing the canal, pinching the nerves. That's why you can't move your arms. And if we don't do something about it, this is not gonna end well. Uh, and dad was afraid of surgery. He was terrified, he even said it. Uh, this is the first time I heard my dad, because dads aren't afraid of things, right? But he said, I'm afraid of surgery. What are you gonna do? He said, well, yeah, it's gonna be pretty invasive. We're gonna lay you down and." cut you open in the back of the neck, break and remove bones in the back of your spine to take pressure off the spinal cord. And then to replace that, we're going to put rods on the sides and we'll screw them in, fuse your whole neck, and you'll never turn your head again. And you you may not regain function of your hands, but we're hoping you have less pain. And there's a small chance you're going to die uh, because it's pretty invasive surgery. And I'm terrified just like dad. And we decided to get a second and a third opinion. All three neurosurgeons said the same thing. He needed surgery. After the third neurosurgeon, we get in a taxi to go home. In this taxi, I'm sitting in the back of the taxi carrying all the dad's x-rays, MRIs, uh, CT scans, you know, medical records. So this is this is a good uh, 38 years ago or so, uh, or 30 some, no, 30 years ago. And um, nowadays that stuff comes on a CD, but back then it was a big stack of films. And I'm sitting there holding all this stuff next to dad. He's wearing his neck brace and I turned and looked at dad in the back of the taxi. 
And I could tell he was in tremendous pain because every bump that taxi hit was sending a lightning bolt of pain through his entire body. I could tell looking in his eyes, he didn't want to live anymore. And I started to have that same panic attack where your chest feels tight and you try to catch your breath, heart's pounding and um, starting to get uh, tears welling up in my eyes. The taxi driver looked at the two of us in the rear view mirror. He said, sir, I noticed you're in a lot of pain. And I know you asked me to take you home, but there's this chiropractor right down the street. I don't know what he does, but I've heard he helps people like you. Would you like me to take you there? And so I'm a 19 year old know-it-all. So I said, no, because uh, there's really two ways to get better is drugs and surgery. There's nothing else. And I don't know who this chiropractor is. I've never heard the word before, but dad was terrified of the surgery. So he's thinking, let's give it a shot. And dad wins. I'm, I'm a good, uh, uh, you know, son listens to his dad. I said, fine. So we pull up to this place. This, this place is under construction. We walked in, there's a crew putting up drywall. It does not look like a doctor's office. We walked in and, and uh, the chiropractor came out and shook our hands, introduced himself. And, and there's no chairs, it's a concrete floor. He brought these crates for us to sit on and he ran back and got this view box. Now, I don't know if the listeners know what a view box is, but before digital film, digital x-ray, digital imaging, you had film and the film you would put on a box that lit up. So he brought one of those, put it on the floor, plugged it into an open socket in the framing that was supposed to be a wall someday and took these images that I was carrying in the back of the text mm -hmm. and started looking at the films, started looking at dad's MRIs. He spent a few minutes looking at it. Then he turned around, looked at my dad. He said, I can help you. He said, I'm not going to do it by breaking, removing bones in your spine. I'm not going to put rods and screws in your neck and I'm not going to have you on painkillers for the rest of your life. What I will do is with my hands, apply gentle adjustments to the bones of your neck to start taking pressure off the nerves. When pressure starts coming off the nerves, your body will begin to self-heal and self-regulate. And I'm thinking, this guy is nuts. Self-heal and self-regulate? What are we, lizards that can grow a tail back? And uh, he looked right at me. He said, son, your dad has these bone spurs that are growing into the spinal canal, narrowing the canal. It's pushing on the nerves. And if we don't do something about it, this is not going to end well. It was so interesting because the chiropractor word for word said everything the three neurosurgeons said. And I, my level of respect went up for them, for him. And um, dad said, hey, you know, what do we need to do? What's it going to cost? Let's get started. I'll postpone the surgery. And he got his first chiropractic adjustment right there on a portable table on concrete floor in this war zone of an office. And uh, he didn't get any improvement on day one. Uh, he, he had to go there for about six months. At the end of six months, dad walked in that office, you know, and the construction's done. There's chairs, there's receptionists, there's a counter. The office was busy. There were patients in every seat. My dad walked up to the counter and he picked up the pen with his own hand. He signed his own name on the sign-in sheet. It was the first time he could use a pen, use his hand again. And uh, he was so proud of himself. He held that pen over his head like it's a trophy. He started walking back and forth, showing everybody. And the patients in the office were laughing at him. Who's this old guy? Because dad was 70 years old at mm -hmm. this time. And, uh, and, and, you know, and your listeners know this 70 is a number. There is young 70 and an old 70. Yeah. I, I know plenty of people who are 70 who are going to live another 50 years. Um, but dad was an older 70. Um, but that day he felt young. And the receptionist behind the counter who saw him sign his own name, because she had to sign his name for him every time she started to cry. And um, dad, he lived another 18 years. He lived to be 88. Uh, and at the age of 88, he was younger than when he was 70. Wow. Because he'd get up, exercise, go out the door, go visit his friends. Uh, his friends were in nursing homes, but not him, driving himself, enjoying life. And he lived long enough to stand next to me as my best man when I got married. Dad lived long enough to meet my first son when he was born. I have three sons. And, um, you know, I, I, I used the story a lot of times because I want to ask a question. I ask every patient of ours this question. The question is when my dad was sick and hurting and suffering, was he the only one who suffered? And obviously the answer is no, I suffered and his whole family suffered. Yeah. And the next question is if you don't take care of your health, think about who else suffers because you're not the only one. People who love care about you suffer. So if you take care of you, you're doing it for them. It's not selfish to take care of your own health. It's selfless. The easy thing to do is to let things go, right, Chris? It's, it's yeah. easy to just not do anything. And uh, the hard part is, you know, do everything what it takes to get yourself healthy, manage stress properly. And I, I guess we're going to get into stress later, but uh, that's the story. 
Wow. So on to, on to medical school, became a chiropractor, started your clinic, or you, you probably worked in a couple practices before you started your own clinic. I did. I did. I worked in a few and then I opened my first practice. And by the way, uh, um, chiropractic school is separate from medical school. Um, uh, but uh, it is, it's, it's almost four years long. You need a bachelor's degree before you go. So I finished undergrad and went to chiropractic school in Chicago. Um, yeah, I opened my first practice in 2003 with a practice partner. And uh, the goal was always to have multiple offices. So I opened the uh, second office uh, down the road uh, in another town but my business partner didn't want to do that. So I did that one on my own and then it didn't work out so well. So I sold by half to the first partner. And then now we have two locations in the town uh, of Frederick, Maryland. They're both booming and thriving. We're uh, expecting to open our third location by the end of 2023. So this is a little off topic from, you know, maybe what we'll talk about with the book, but, but I'm curious about, you know, starting a practice and building a practice and, and especially, you know, the, the beautiful part of getting a second chance is you take what you learn from running a business from the first time and you can kind of fix it. I'm just kind of curious, what did you, as, as a business leader, as a business owner, what did you learn about running a practice um, from that, from that first kind of round and, and what did you apply in your practices today as a result of it? I would say number one is be really set on your values and make sure you have your protocols, systems, procedures set in stone, no compromise. It's the only way you can duplicate. It's the only way you can scale up. We haven't scaled up. So I, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't earned the right to say we don't have, you know, I, I know your, your, your family had uh, close to a thousand different locations with, uh, with the big boy brand. Um, maybe someday we'll get there. That that's, that that's the dream. But, uh, I would say number one, most important is make sure what values you stand on. Don't compromise those. And secondly, write down every process and procedure and stick with it. The third thing would be know what you're good at and don't try to be everything to everybody. You know, it's, it's just funny how often those same points seem to come up with every business person I talk to. And, and it's the key. And it doesn't matter really how big the business or how small the business. This, this concept of core values, we've talked about it so many times. I, I've got listeners that are probably thinking I prompted you to say that. Um, <laughs> it's how many times we've talked about the importance of it. But it is about alignment of people. It's about having the right people in your organization. Because when you have all those, those people and you have a highly engaged team as a result of that, now, you know, now you've got something that's magical and the customers will feel that. And then this piece about process, we don't talk about it as much, but it's just as important because that's the only way to replicate. I, you know, people say I'd rather be lucky than good. And, mm. and I've always said, I hate that. I, I hate that, that comment, because if you're, if you're lucky, it means you don't know how you achieved the success. So you can only hope that it happens again. But if you're good, you've got your process documented, you're clear, and anything you document, you can replicate. 100%, 100%. And, and it, it, it's the concept of do the hard work up front because then it gets easy later. Yeah. If you push it back to later, say, well, let, let me run the business now and then create the procedures and protocols. Now it's a lot harder because now you're in the thick of things. Now you have to back down, slow down, and write those procedures down. Do it up front. Well, and you don't get to document what you learned along the way. So if you've got a process that maybe isn't optimal because you've never really clarified it, you're docking a less than op you're documenting a less than optimal process. If you document it from the beginning and you get in and find, well, I'm following this process not quite right, you make an adjustment to it. And about that time that you might have been writing for the first time, you now have something that's fully vetted and fully clean and and you know, doesn't need work and, and allows you to replicate it. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, back to, back to the stress piece of it then, uh, you know, so chiropractic is, um, it, it's, it's an interesting field. I mean, people have a lot of different emotions and feelings about it. Um, I, I go to one uh, and uh, he's, he's been great. And I'll tell you, I've never felt better. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was actually, I was in a session yesterday and he said, you know, you're really quite aligned. He said, there's, there's not a lot for me to do. And, and I realized I was there more, more for my mental sake than I was, you know, than I was for my body. Right. I mean, because because over the last several months in particular, I've ha I had some issues that he's completely straightened out for me. Um, I just find that that the 
the energy I get from being in there and having having just that few minutes of him kind of straightening the few things around, I walk out with a better attitude the whole shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, chiropractic is based on the premise that the human body is self-healing and self-regulating. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying that the medicine philosophy of medicine is wrong because I can't prove them wrong. There's plenty of evidence that says the human body will fall apart, decay, age, get diseased and all that stuff. So there's two philosophies. One says you, you're destined to, to get sick. The other says, no, you were created to be healthy and your body knows how to repair itself. So I don't know which is, I can't prove which one is right. So you just choose. My choice is the body self-healing, self-regulating because if I cut my hand, I know it heals by itself. Even if I need stitches, the stitches don't make the tissue heal and repair. My body will mobilize the you know, cells and enzymes that require clotting and repair and regeneration of tissues. And so it's self-healing, self-regulating based on that premise is what I stand on and, and why we do chiropractic. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Well, we're, um, we're up on our first break. When we come back, I actually want to dive into the, the, the book, Cracking the Stress Secret, because I think that there's some really interesting things to talk about and things that are applicable for all of us. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Dr. Amir Rashidian. So, Amir, uh, before the break, we were starting to kind of go down this path, and we, we kind of took a little detour from your story about to just about chiropractic in general. Um, but you've recently written this book, uh, Cracking the Stress Secret. And I, I wondered if you'd share with us a little bit about what it's about and, and how you got to this level of thinking. Absolutely. Uh, it, it comes down to one, one phrase, one sentence. I'll, 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 I'll leave you hanging for a second because while I was running the businesses and, and, and getting things off the ground and opening multiple locations, the question everyone asked me, family members, loved ones, people who care about me said, why do you work so hard? Aren't you going to sacrifice your health? Isn't this going to affect your health? And my answer was always like, always this, yes, it will. However, what use is good health if I sacrifice my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, and my future? I think one is worthless without the other. So yes, your goals and dreams, your, your, your business, whatever you want to do, that's important. And so is health. You have to go at it as if you can have both. And I know you can, it's possible. And so based on that premise, it all comes down to this one phrase. The phrase is how healthy you are is determined by how much stress you can safely handle. Because if someone's stress adaptation potential or capacity for stress is low, a little bit of stress will make them sick or susceptible to injury. Now, if someone has a high adaptive potential, meaning this person can handle a ton of stress. Chris, you're probably one of those. I mean, with everything that you do and all this stuff that you run, um, clients and all of that stuff, you're tolerating tremendous amount of stress. You put me in that situation, I might be susceptible to sickness. I would, that's the person who catches a cold in the summer. That's, that's the person who uh, is getting ready to go on vacation. Yeah. And the day they get on vacation, they're sick. Yeah. And so, 
you know, it's kind of, it, you make me wonder how much personality types play into this, right? I mean, so look, we know that personalities can change over time. I mean, there, there are all kinds of assessments that measure what we call the affective part of the mind, the, 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 the emotional part of the mind. And, you know, as we move, as we evolve, as we go through life events, things kind of ebb and flow. But, but if we go back to kind of predictive index type thinking where you talk about type A, type B personalities, those kind of things, um, you know, is a type A personality able to safely handle more stress than let's say a type B who's, who tends to be more, you know, laid back the A being the driver, the B or, or how, how does that all fit in? I, I think the type A personality is uh, more willing to allow stress into their life. They're willing to tolerate it more as opposed to the person who says, no, I, I live for the weekend. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It's, like you said, it's a, it's a personality. Um, but uh, I found that whatever you desire, you'll find a way to get and go after. You, you see uh, people who say, I can't afford certain something because it's expensive, but it would make them healthier, but it's too expensive. But that same person can afford a really large car payment because they really want that car. Yeah. So um, personality, though, is one third of the equation. Uh, so I divide it into three things because stress as well as uh, health comes in these three dimensions. Uh, psycho-emotional is one, psychological-emotional is one, but then there's a physical dimension and there's a chemical dimension. So the person who can really tolerate a lot of stress safely without getting sick is the person who not only is willing to allow stress into their life on an emotional, psychological level, but they also can handle the physical stress. They can also handle the chemical stress. So by chemical, anything you put on your skin, anything you inhale, anything you ingest is chemical stress. Now, these imagine these three are coins mm -hmm. and you've got three coins, psychological, chemical, physical, and they have two sides to each coin. So on the psychological side, one side is all the negativity where if you watch the news late in the day, you're, you're going to affect your sleep, your chemical makeup, your hormones, and so on. You can watch it early in the morning. It won't affect you as much. Um, uh, however, the other side of the coin is how do you feed yourself with positive things? Uh, are there things that take you back to uh, a time in your life where you felt invincible? Can you get into that state when you approach a challenge because you'll handle stress better? So the two sides of the coin when it comes to physical is exercise the opposite of it is rest. You've got to balance the two. And in the chemical dimension, you have to meet the deficiencies of the body chemically, meaning are there vitamins, minerals, uh, enzymes that your body is lacking? Are there things you need to be feeding your body more of? But then you have to look at the other side of the coin, which is toxicity. How do we remove some of the things that may be toxic and then create a balance? When you do that, you achieve wellness. And wellness, now that's a marketing term these days. Everybody's got a wellness center. See, they could be a massage therapist or a pharmacist, and they'll call themselves a wellness specialist. But true wellness is the amount of health and vitality you're experiencing in life. It's like joy and happiness. Sound like you have a question? Yeah, you know, it's it. I've got a lot of questions trying to get. I, I laugh a little bit to myself because I think about my uncle Louie, right? So, so. It, in the greatest amount of um, stressful times in our business, he was always pretty darn calm. And it's not that he didn't lose his temper from time to time and let things out. Um, but it was, it, was, it was hilarious. We used to do these kind of blood pressure checks. Um, my, my dad had high blood pressure, and we had a blood pressure cuff kind of in the closet off of the, you know, where, where the executive offices were. So we'd all go in there, you know, usually before lunch, you know, and then walk over lunch, and everybody would take their blood pressure. And everybody's blood pressure was high. My Uncle Louis was always just spot on exactly <laughs> where it would need to be. Never took a medication in his life. And we determined the guy was a carrier. You know, he, he, stress never affected him. He just stressed everybody else out around him, you know. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it, 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 this kind of this, this whole mental attitude thing is so very, very important. And yet, as I think about it, too, he was that type A personality, though you might not see it from the outside because he always, you know, usually had a pretty calm, you know, demeanor about him. Um, you know, we talk about communication styles in a lot of the work that I do and in a couple styles in, in particular, if you think about it, you know, we, we have, um, you know, the fight or flight, right? So there's move against and move away. Uh, you know, when, when something triggers and triggers somebody, 
um, move against people will en- engage into the debate, the argument. Um, they kind of get it out there in the open. Move away are people who tend to kind of need to go and they tend to internalize it. And so I wonder if in those situations, those are probably two different ways that people handle stress and which is, which is the healthier? I'm kind of curious if you have an opinion on that. Okay, so if we're choosing between fighting or fleeing, running away, I, I, I want to tell you that they're exactly the same. Okay. Uh, because the physiologic response in the body is, is what we're talking about, where kind of what I mentioned earlier too, where the chest feels tight and heart's pounding and you're breathing heavy and you're trying to catch your breath and all that stuff. Um, so that's extreme. Your pupils dilate. Your hands will get cold. So will your feet because blood leaves the extremities, but it goes into the bigger muscles of your body. Uh, the blood leaves your digestive tract as well, because that's not the time to digest your food. In fact, if you played professional sports or if you, if you played any kind of competitive sports, even in, in school, um, a lot of kids would go to the bushes and throw up before the big game or before the big race because the digestive tract has to be empty. So the other thing that slows down is your immune system. So there's actually no difference between the two, whether you're going to fight. However, I do know that when you're in that state of stress anxiety, uh, and it, it, the, the blood leaves your neocortex and goes to the primitive centers of your brain as well. Right. So you can't decide very well. So you're going to you're going to pick one of the two. I don't know which one would be best for you. I think it totally depends on the situation. But here's what's interesting. The same response happens when you're super excited or happy. So, for example, you're about to go on a date with you with your dream girl, um, you you know, and and you think this is the person you're going to marry and it's your first date. Uh, you're going to have the same response uh-huh. in the body, but it's a good response is when, when I tell the kids, Hey kids, we're going to Disneyland or Disney world. Uh, same thing. They're super excited. They can't sleep the whole night. We're going, this is great. Um, but, but if you're worried about something, you can't sleep the whole night either. So the body actually acts the same, whether it's positive or negative stress, it, it acts the same way. My solution to you is just get stronger. Uh, like a prize fighter who's about to step in the ring in six months, they train for those six months. But if you're going to start a business, people don't physically train to start a business. Right. People don't mentally train to start a business. People don't chemically train to start a business. They just step right into it. And then they get hit hard. It's like running a marathon without training. You may be able to finish, but you're not going to do as well as you could have well, and, and what comes to my mind is you, you talk about that. We, we talk about it a lot and about the importance of, of consciousness in the whole thing. You know, the, um, the adrenal response, as I would describe it, you know, when, when you get angry or, 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 you know, lots of things can generate it. Um, that the physiology of the blood moving away from the neocortex of the brain and all that, that it is a real, real thing. And, and one of the things I talk about this quite a bit, we talk about triggered states and how to eliminate triggered states in the workplace because those triggered states usually then lead to some form of conflict, negative conflict, not, not the healthy debate that we, we strive for, but, but the fights and those, those kind of things. And I use this description as, you know, how many times did you hear somebody who was in a situation, an, adre- an adrenal state situation, where they say, well, I, I just wasn't thinking. Or worse, I don't even remember that happening. And that is because the physiological response is the blood moving away from the part of your brain that thinks for you. Absolutely. You, know? you, you could be a student walking into a final exam, and if you trip on the doorway into the classroom, yeah. you were already in that state of, sympathetic overdrive or fight or flight state. And now it puts you over, over the edge. And all of a sudden, because of the adrenaline rush, you forget everything you studied the night before yeah. and you'll fail the test. It's a real thing. So, so then what we, what we talk a lot about is, is then that th- third state. So there's this kind of concept we call it move toward or moving into a conversation with somebody, not against and not away, but into, and that requires a conscious step which requires a certain amount of self-awareness for recognizing when you've entered that triggered state. So, you know, we have a a tool we call it the accountability ladder and and it describes the emotional um, pathway that occurs when a, when a trigger happens, right? So trigger happens and and our first movement's always down the ladder and down ladder is a subconscious or unconscious response. And they tend to move towards the negative and they get to this, this, this theory. uh, It's more than theory, but, um, that you're describing is in a way we're wired to a negative bias. We're actually our, our protection mechanism, the way our internal chemistry works, all of that is that when we get triggered, our subconscious movement is to 
fight or flight. It's to move away. It's to become aggressive. And so, so the unconscious action down this, this accountability ladder leads to other bad behaviors, where it could be as simple as waiting and hoping for a resolution to as drastic as, as blaming others for a problem that, that you might be part of or, or pointing fingers. Again, all these negative things. But, but it's within that, that there's a state of hopelessness. And over a long period of time and a long period of practice or allowing this to happen, you have this um, victim mentality that be, that starts to happen in a person. And I would I would argue or wonder in what you're describing that people who live in this victim state that the stress that they carry with them is more negative, you know, affects them more negatively than those who can be aware of it happening and turn around and what we would say is move up the ladder. And, and movement up the ladder is acknowledging the reality, but instead of letting that be an excuse and stopping you, utilizing that in a conscious process to move towards some level of resolution. And now you're leveraging the stress in a positive way. That, that's how I would look at it, but I'd kind of be curious how, how you look at it. I agree with you 100%. You know, stress is a force that causes change in your life. It's like gravity. It's, it's not... It's, it's not positive or negative it's the response to it that can be positive or negative it's the adaptive uh powers of the body exercise is actually stress you know when you load your joints and muscles with weights you're causing a positive change hopefully but if you do it the wrong way you'll cause a negative change which is broken bones sprained joints and torn muscles it's it's the same stress causes two different responses and you mentioned anger anger is, is actually energy so it can be used as righteous anger that says, hey, I'm tired of this state that I'm in. I'm going to make a change and do something better. Or that anger can lead someone to criminal behavior. Money is a force just like stress. It, it, it can fund terrorist activity or it can put your kids through college. It, it's the same thing. There's nothing positive or negative about it. But if you can tolerate the stress, like like you're saying, and, and reframe it properly, because um, I, I tell my, my employees this and, and patients who are open to listening. Some people just have made up their mind about distress and don't want to listen. But if you're willing to listen, I always say, for example, you're driving and someone cuts you off. You get angry at them. Instantly, I say to myself, this person is not going to make me fat and stupid. So, and here's why, uh, because that state of fight or flight with the cortisol release in the body, because the neocortex shuts down, I'm not going to be thinking properly. I don't want that. I want to be thinking clearly. And it prevents my body from metabolizing fat. So then it's going to be harder. That's why people don't sleep well or don't sleep enough, always have trouble losing weight. People who are under stress always have trouble losing weight. Um, when it comes to stress and sleep, you have to be in the opposite of fight or flight to be able to sleep. You can't even be in the balance. 80% of the time, and that's a state called parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. So parasympathetic, you need to be there 80% of the time. Sympathetic, you need to be there 20% of the time. Most people in today's world, especially in the Western world, we're in sympathetic 80% of the time, which is the exact opposite. So when you're in that state of stress, um, those are people you'll see, they'll say, my hands are always cold, even in the summer, even with, with the heat on. My hands are cold. They'll say I have constipation because their digestive system is slow and they get a lot of sinus infections because their immune system is slow. Yeah, so it all affects them in a very, very negative way. Um, We're already up on our second break, so we're going to step away for a minute. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation on stress. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, 
leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Dr. Amir Rashidian. So, Amir, um, before the break, we were talking about the different types of stress and sympathy and 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 such and, and the, the way that we sometimes get it backwards. And and stress is there. There's no such thing as a stressless life. As you've described, you've got two sides of the coin. There's positive stress, negative stress. At the end of the day, though, um, we're in it, right? Whether it's it's COVID, bad news, news of war, threats. I mean, you know, it's it seems like almost like the the information world today is against us from a stress standpoint because everybody wants to talk about the bad news. That's the easy stuff. It's the adrenal stuff. How do we deal with it though? So, so, so what are the ways that, that our listeners, that we can, can start coping with this and start either rechanneling this stress or, or moving it into a positive manner so it can benefit us as opposed to taking us down and making us sick as you were describing before the break? Oh, absolutely. So, so I'll give you three, three simple things. Um, one is uh, obviously mindset is critical. If you dwell in the past too much, you're going to deal with depression. If you worry about the future too much, you're going to have a lot of anxiety, but if you're in the present, it's okay. I remember I was uh, having a beer with my dad and it, it was our thing to split a beer, which would sound funny. We would take one beer and put in two cups and we drink together. And, uh, and we just, that's all we'd have. Um, but I remember one day I was stressed about finances and dad said, where would you be if you had a million dollars in the bank right now? I said, I'd be sitting here having a beer with you, dad. He said, then what's the difference? Be in the present. You're fine. And uh, so, so that's, that, that's one. Secondly, uh, we carry the, the, the thoughts into other situations. Now, uh, you, you might have guessed some of the things I tell you is counterintuitive, definitely countercultural. Like, for example, I'll never tell you to reduce your stress. Best way to reduce stress is to quit your job and leave your family. It's only, but, but who wants to do that? And what kind of life is that? So what you have to do is improve, get stronger so you can carry the burden, get stronger so you can take the hits and still go forward, still succeed. And so uh, one of those things is uh, when, when we're under a lot of stress, we tend to sacrifice other things that are healthy for us. So for example, I work really hard. I work long hours. Sometimes I only get 10 minutes to eat lunch, whether it's managing the businesses, still doing a lot of writing. And I see a lot of patients as well. So um, in our offices, we see about five, 500 patients every single week. So, so we are busy. If I only have 10 minutes to eat lunch, I'm not going to grab the food and shove it in my mouth and go back to work. If I have 10 minutes, I'll take the first minute to set up my desk. I'll put the food out in front of me and I'll play some classical music. I'll say a little prayer of gratitude and I'll start eating as if I have all day to eat my food. But when 10 minutes is up, I pack it up and put it away because eating fast in a state of stress makes that food poisonous to your body. Uh, Chris, have you heard of the French paradox? I have not. French Paris. So I, I spent three weeks in Paris with a friend of mine and he was living in Paris at the time. So we only did stuff locals do. And I'm hanging out with these French, uh, great people. Uh, but goodness, they eat slow. I mean, we would go to lunch two hours later. We're barely done dinner, two, three hours. And it, it's all social. And I found out in kindergarten when they're teaching their kids, uh, during lunchtime, they tell the kids, don't eat so fast. Talk to your friends. In America, we tell the kids, stop talking, eat your food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Complete opposite. Well, the French are completely immune to heart disease and there's very little diabetes there. Even though every meal is wine, cheese, and bread, plus everything else, lots of high fat food. And so why is it that their diet isn't good, but they're healthier? Uh, obesity is very low in France as well. And I believe it's because they're not in that fight or flight state when they eat their food, they sit down, they relax. And that's the paradox. It's not again, controversial. It's not what you eat. It's how you eat, how you eat 
makes you more healthy than what you eat. Because you could give me whatever your definition of healthy is. I'm not going to put it out there. Let's say you believe organic vegetables and, um, you know, uh, fat-free meats, uh, whatever. And, and you have this excellent uh, balanced meal, but you're eating it in your car. You're driving in rush hour traffic. You're on the phone with a business associate. You're not ready to receive that food. Don't eat. Wait. Wait when you can calm down. Even if you can eat half of it, it's much, much healthier for you. That's number two. Number three is breathing. Breathing is, is your window into your autonomic system because we can't control our heart rate. Uh, directly, we can't control heart rate. Directly, we can't control our blood pressure. Even though you want your blood pressure to go up and go down, and certainly that's a whole different topic. Cholesterol and blood pressure, I did a whole two-hour lecture on the mystery of heart disease and what cholesterol really is. Um, but what you need to understand is you can control a lot of these things through how you breathe. Because in a state of rest, the human body's breath should be one to two ratio, one in, two out. So if it takes you two seconds to inhale, it should take you four seconds to exhale. That's a state of rest and repair. That's when your body can repair, regenerate, heal, all of that stuff. The minute you're stressed and worried about something, that ratio becomes one to one. And if it's, if it's in a one-to-one -one ratio, your body is in sympathetic overdrive. It's in, it's in fight or flight. Even if you're emotionally not in fight or flight, your physical body is in fight or flight. And you cannot receive food properly at that point. And you cannot think properly. You cannot heal properly. And so my suggestion to you is intentionally breathe and count. Take 10 breaths. Count to five as you inhale. Count to 10 as you exhale. Do 10 of those breaths, 10 in the morning, 10 in the evening. And you'll flip your body out of fight or flight. Go ahead. So, so that can be done as an exercise. Is the goal to kind of live most of your day with that level of breathing, or or can it be done episodically like that? I would do it episodically. Yeah, and and the first time you do it, make sure you're not driving because you can hyperventilate and pass out. Um, <laughs> make sure you're sitting <laughs> sitting somewhere safe. If you're listening to this in your car, do not try it. Not right now. Um, however. In states of high stress, if you just take a hard inhale or a double inhale and a slow, long and exhale, you can start to change that. And uh, that, that can be powerful. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let's go back to, okay, so that's, that's the breathing piece of this. How about as far as like physical activity, exercise? A lot of people love exercise. They see it as a de-stressor. Um, you mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a different side of the same coin. It's a positive stress. It's still a stress, but it's a positive stress. Um, you know, a lot of people, we get into stress and that might be one of the first things that go because we're on the phone till late in the evening or we're negotiating X, Y, Z, or we're traveling and it gets harder and harder and harder. But how important is, uh, exercise in all of this? It's, it's critical. Uh, but the type of exercise depends on your goals. So if someone's goal might be weight loss, uh, that's very different than someone's goal who might be um, just increase insulin sensitivity mm -hmm. and increase receptability to, to insulin so we can monitor our blood sugar properly internally. Um, they're two separate things. Weight training is critical. Uh, low intensity cardiovascular exercise is critical. I like uh, species specific exercise. So, so we are humans. Mm -hmm. We like to be upright walking. So walk with your arms swinging. Literally you do that for 30 minutes a day, every day, a lot of things will change. Do that in nature with fresh air and sunlight. Now you're doing really well. Do it with a little bit of music in your ears, good music, music that calms you or, or makes you feel good or takes you back to a time in your life where you were invincible. Now you're really doing great. It, 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 and, and it's um, now uh, I also am a big fan of high intensity exercises because I believe we were also made to sweat. We were also made to um, use our muscles to their maximum capacity. Now, I'm not talking about the one rep max that a power lifter does where there's a high risk of injury. That's not what I mean, but I do mean you, you have to fatigue your muscles once a month. To, to the end where like you, you burned them out, whether it's you're doing wall sits or squats or something that really burns them out. Because I've noticed in, in my patients, patients who get a lot of muscle knots, tension, tightness, sometimes it's just because they're not using 
they're not using the muscle to its maximum capacity. And so the muscles get knotted up. Stretching it doesn't seem to be as productive, but you do that kind of exercise and stretch. Now you get much better results. Excellent. Um, I want to touch on one other thing while we got a couple of minutes. So you mentioned a two hour lecture on, on heart health and cholesterol mm-hmm. and how it all figures in. What can you give us in two minutes on that? <laughs> all I need you to know and understand is this one phrase, the human body will only do what it needs to increase chances of survival. Cholesterol is produced by your liver at 30% of your uh, cholesterol will come through your diet. 70% gets produced by the liver. If you stop eating cholesterol, 100% of the cholesterol will be produced by your liver and your numbers won't change. Cholesterol is the building block for every cell in your body. Go back to biology, uh, high school biology. The cell membrane is made up of the lipid bilayer. That's cholesterol. If you hit me with a bat and give me a big bruise on my shoulder, instantly my body will produce more cholesterol because it's needed to repair the the bruise. If I need cortisol in my system, because I'm a high stress type A personality who's always on the go. Well, the precursor to the hormone cortisol, the precursor to vitamin D, the precursor to testosterone, growth hormone, estrogen, every hormone the body needs is cholesterol. Instantly, if there is stress in your life, your liver will produce more cholesterol because you need it. And at that point, lowering cholesterol can be dangerous. This is where it's controversial. Be careful. If you're listening, don't stop taking your cholesterol medication. Talk to the doctors. Um, But understand that cholesterol goes up and down based on the body's need, not that there's something wrong with you. Same with heart, uh, same with blood pressure. If you put me on a treadmill, tell me, tell me to run as fast as I can. If my blood pressure doesn't go up to 220 over 150, so I'm going to pass out. Yeah. So blood pressure is in response to the allostatic load on the body. So what about the accumulation then of, of plaque within the, within the veins and the arteries, especially around the heart? Um, you know, I understand that a lot of cardiologists manage the cholesterol because of trying to minimize the plaque. But my sense from our conversation is, is plaque generation has more to it than just the cholesterol in your system. 100%. It has to do with inflammation in your blood vessels. And that's why the A1C marker is an important marker to look at. Um, but I, I am just against using one thing to determine overall health. Yeah. Health is function. Everything in the body has to be functioning properly. Um, I, I have uh, my, my, my mother, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. Her blood pressure is always high. It's, it's, it's like 180 over 70. And uh, her cholesterol is about 340. Uh, but I sent her to a cardiologist friend of mine. He did an analysis, full-blown head-to-toe, said there's nothing else wrong with her. So we're not going to put her on any medication. We're just going to watch and see what's going on. Uh, now, if she already had some narrowing of the carotid arteries, if there was blockage in the, uh, the cardiac arteries, at that point, I'd say, okay, yeah, we probably should do something. Otherwise, no, she's functioning properly. That's her normal blood pressure. That's her resting blood pressure. We're going to leave it and watch. Um, uh, so, so, so when it comes to medication, I've seen, uh, and, and I don't know if you ever paid attention to this, years ago, but I, I believe it was prior to 2006. If you listen to cholesterol medicate, I'm not going to name any brands mm-hmm. uh, on your show, cholesterol medication advertising on television. The last sentence they said was lowering cholesterol has not been linked to a reduction of risk of heart disease. That's right. So, so they, they always said that now they don't say that anymore because this one study came out that said that showed if someone's already had a heart attack, taking cholesterol down will prevent a second heart attack. That's what, and, and it's by a small amount. The, the chances went down by a little bit. And so now they don't have to say that after their commercials anymore. So we still don't know for a fact. And if you're, uh, if, if, if you're a cardiologist listening, look this up. Are there any double blind controlled randomized trial studies that show lowering cholesterol reduces risk of heart disease? I don't think there are. Yeah, and so you know what what you said a little while ago about inflammation. It's a lot of information is now out there and available about the effects of infl- inflammation on the body and managing inflammation. I am kind of quick, so I've got time maybe for one more quick question from you. Is is do you believe, based on what you've learned, that if you reduce inflammation in your body, can you reverse the effects of let's say placking on the veins or or other effects <laughs> that are related to inflammation? One of my heroes is Dean Ornish. Dr. Dean Ornish wrote the book on this. 
back in the 1970s when MRIs were new technology, he showed uh, working with patients for a span of, I don't know, three months, six months or nine months, he showed that plaquing was reversed. Now, Dr. Ornish is the only doctor in the history of mankind who has been able to actually reverse plaquing in your cardiac arteries. And he does it through natural methods, no drugs, no surgery. He has you walk outside 30 minutes a day. He has you spend time with family that you love and enjoy uh, your relationships. And he wants you to eat a ton of vegetables. And that's it, it's very, very simple. And he's been doing it since the 1970s. He's still doing it today. Uh, another article came out by him, how to reverse prostate cancer naturally. And again, uh, he's written books on this. Uh, it, I'm not the expert when it comes to this. I would recommend look up Dr. Dean Ornish. That we will do. Anyway, so we're, we're at the end of our time. And um, I'd like to just take a couple of minutes again and highlight the, the book itself. The, the book is... It's called Cracking the Stress Secret, How to Turn Pressure into Power. And um, it, it boils down to this. I already said this sentence, how healthy you are is determined by how much stress you can handle. But let's take it further. How happy you are is also determined by how much stress you can safely handle. Yeah. How successful you are is also determined by how much stress you can safely handle. And your income actually depends on how much stress you can safely handle. Excellent. I mean, Chris, you, you and your family had... I don't know how many employees, thousands, I assume. And uh, I have 12. <laughs> Clearly, my tolerance to stress is much less than what you guys were doing. But that's that's a measure of your success is how much stress you can handle. So the book will teach you how to increase your ability to tolerate stress. Excellent. So the book is available. Um, I know it's available on Amazon, all major booksellers. Yes, it should be everywhere. Should be everywhere. Is there a, um, is there a recorded version of the book? Not yet. We are working on that. However, our YouTube channel, uh, it's called Real Chiropractic, has a lot of tidbits, uh, short videos uh, that have the information from the book in there. Um, and then you can certainly uh, look at our website, drrashidian.com or midatlanticclinic.com. Okay. So doctor, is it D-R? Yes. R-A-S-H-I-D-I-A-N.com. Perfect. Okay. So I always like to spell it out. Um, so, so it's clear and then, um, real R E L and then chiropractic, um, for YouTube. So lots of ways to find Dr. Dr. Rashidian. Amir, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, everyone, that's the end of our show for this week. Stay tuned for more great guests coming up in the future. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.